Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. If when we think of God and His primary attitude towards sinners, we think of anger, wrath, and judgment, we are seriously mistaken. That's the wrong view of God. That's the wrong understanding of God. But listen, these are the facts. Right thinking about God is that his predominant attitude towards sinners is an attitude of love, mercy, and compassion. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of Mark. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Mark, chapter 6, verses 1 through 13, and 30 through 34, in a message titled, The Compassionate Shepherd. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So, as we're making our way through Mark, you know, I am, you know, looking at those specific verses or, or, or passages where I feel like the Lord wants us to just kind of drill down and really, you know, look closely at it. And so today, that is verse 34. That is the verse that we're going to focus on today. But before we do that, as I've done also in the past, I want to just just go through the verses that we read and, and just highlight a couple of things, just so we're getting the important points as we make our journey through the gospel. So as you noticed, if you're coming regularly, we're not teaching every single verse of Mark, but we are reading through every verse. And then the teaching part, again, you know, is highlighting certain aspects. So let's just look at a few things. So verses one through six, the, the chapter begins with Jesus. It says that he went to his own country. So he went to his own country. For us, that's like, what? That where was his country? It was actually Nazareth. It probably a better way for us today to read it would be that he went to his own city or he went to his own town. So here we have Jesus going back to Nazareth. Remember, Jesus was from there. He was born in Bethlehem, but he was brought up in Nazareth. And he was even known as the Nazarene. But once his public ministry began, he moved out of Nazareth and he set up his base in Capernaum there on on the Sea of Galilee. But now, so he takes a visit back to Nazareth. And there's a couple things that we see here. We see that uh, the people of the the town, they had heard about him. You know, they, they had heard about their, you know, one of their own who had gone out and now was, you know, kind of making a name for himself is the way they probably would have thought about it. So so he comes back to the city and he begins to teach, but the familiarity was just, you know, they couldn't really accept that he was somebody extraordinary or unique. And so we see their response to him is, where did he get this? And and what what is this wisdom that he has and, and then they say this, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. So it's like, wait, we know this guy. He can't be anybody that special because, well, after all, you know, we, we know his family. And so they, they were offended. 
at Jesus. So there in, in Nazareth, he came back to bring a blessing to them. But as we go on and we see here, he ends up saying to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. And here's the great tragedy. Now he could do no mighty work there, and he marveled at their unbelief. So Jesus comes back to his hometown, to Nazareth. He comes to bless them, but he's, he can't bless them because of their unbelief. It was their unbelief that prevented the blessing that he intended to bring. And, and of course, this is always true. You know, Jesus comes and he, and he offers a blessing. I was thinking about how, you know, sometime you might be talking to a friend or a family member or somebody and they're pouring out their woes and they're telling you about their struggles and their difficulties and, and, and all of that. And, you know, you might just look at him and say, well, look, I know the answer. I know, I know the solution to those, those problems. And, you know, if, of course, they, if knowing you're, you're a Christian, they probably say, oh, don't tell me it's Jesus. You know, no, come on now. Don't, don't, uh, uh, don't give me that stuff. Why not? It is Jesus. But what's the point? The point is, if they would just believe all of those concerns and burdens and all of that misery could be alleviated because that's what Jesus does. But people who reject Jesus are really, as the saying goes, they're cutting off their nose to spite their face. I mean, come on. You know, God just wants to bless. But that was the people of Nazareth. They, they couldn't be blessed the way God wanted to bless them, but it was because of their unbelief. Now, just another quick thing to note is we have a reference here to the brothers and sisters of Jesus. Jesus had siblings. Now, for some, that's like, oh, okay, that's great. But, but for others, because of the influence of Roman Catholicism on the, the culture even, for some people, that's a complete shock. Wait, what do you mean Jesus had brothers and sisters? Because Roman Catholic doctrine is that Mary was a perpetual virgin. So she did not have any other kids and Roman Catholic theologians would say, uh, well, these were maybe like the, they were like the half-brothers of Jesus. They were, you know, the children of Joseph, but not of Mary. Or they would say, well, these aren't really the brothers and sisters. They're really the cousins. It was probably, the word probably should be translated cousins. Uh, not so. The, the Greek word means brothers and sisters. There's no reason except that Roman Catholic idea that Mary was a perpetual virgin, there's no reason to think that that was the case because the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible makes it clear here that he had brothers and sisters. So that's just a quick side note. Then verses 7 through 13, where we have Jesus sending out the 12 on the mission. Uh, the one thing that I wanted to just remind us of here, Jesus sends them out. He gives them power over unclean spirits, and he also gives them power to heal. And so that's something that we can't forget. And I, I think that oftentimes we, we forget that there is a, there's a supernatural component to everything that we believe and in, we're involved in. And when we go out with the gospel, we should also go out with the expectation that God is going to work with us. And, and God's going to do 
miraculous things. You know, I read a lot of books and I listen to a lot of different people who are in church leadership and, and all of that. And, and sometimes I, I feel like we're so dependent on just, you know, what we can do. We're so dependent on what we can come up with. We're so dependent upon our intellect. We're so dependent upon our ability to communicate. We're so dependent upon those things. And yes, those, I mean, we want to communicate well and we want to do our best in presenting the truth. We want to do all of that. But we have to remember that there's another component here and that's called the Spirit of God. And that's called supernatural things. And that's called miracles, healing, and deliverance. And and that's the kind of stuff that we see here. We can't forget that in this day and age. And I was thinking practically, we should always keep in mind that when we have opportunities to share with people the truth, you know, we also have an opportunity to open the door for God to do something miraculous by just simply asking people if we can pray for them. Because as we pray for them, we are, we're calling upon the Lord to intervene in their lives. We are verbally, audibly inviting the Lord into the situation, and we're giving an opportunity for God to do something supernatural that those very people will be able to recognize Because when that happens, they're like, oh my goodness, that's the thing that they prayed for me about. So these guys went out to preach, but they also went out with power. And they went out with the expectation that it wasn't simply preaching, but that God was going to be with them, showing his power through their lives as they went out. So just a quick thing to note from the verses there. Now, verses 14, or as, as we kind of read through 16. So verses 17 through 29 are dealing with the murder, really, of John the Baptist. So here it's where Mark you know, takes a little bit of a detour away from the historical, just the narrative and he, it's like a parenthetical portion where he, because Herod says about Jesus, oh, this is John the Baptist who's raised from the dead. So now Mark goes on and tells a story about the death of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was essentially murdered by Herod at the instigation of Herod's wife, Herodias. And so that is what is recorded in verses 17 through 29. And then we pick up again in verse 30. And I I want to, as I said, I want to really focus our attention now today on verse 34. So as we see the background there, picking up in verse 30, so this is So this is where the story picks up. So Jesus sent them out. They went out and did those things. And now they've returned. And so they come back. The apostles, they gather to Jesus. And so they tell him, they tell him everything that that they had been doing out on this mission that he sent them on. And so he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. So they come back. They're telling Jesus all that they had experienced as they had gone out at his sending 
and experienced, you know, that great work of God. They come back to telling the story. Jesus says, all right, let, let's take some time off. Let, let's have a break. Let's get away from the crowd. Let's go to a deserted place and let's rest a while. And, and I would imagine that they were all like, amen, Jesus. What a great idea. We never thought that you would say that, but let's go. And so that's what they do. They head off to a deserted place, but the people kind of see the direction they're going in and they're like, wait, Jesus, we, we need you still. So, so they go on foot to the place where Jesus and the disciples arise and uh, arrive. And, and so as they, as they get there, the crowd is already there. And here it is, verse 34. And Jesus, when he came out, came out of the boat, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them. Now, I'm putting myself in the place of those other guys, and this is one of those moments where you're like, oh, come on, Jesus, please don't. No, just, we need a break. But Jesus is, he's moved with compassion. And, and he can't, as much as he probably needed that break as well, he couldn't walk away from this crowd of people because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. He saw that their lives were tattered and they were beaten and bruised and they were troubled. And all of that moved him to then just carry on ministering to them. And, and so we see here in Jesus, and you know this has been often our, our focus as we go through Mark, we keep coming back to Jesus, and rightfully so, this is uh, the gospel. But, but we want to look at Jesus, and as we look at Jesus, we're looking at God. We're seeing what God is like. So we see with Jesus that he is the compassionate Savior. Now, you know, you can search high and low in the world today, and you can go back in ancient times as far as you want. You're not going to find any representation of a God like this. Compassion was not the... It wasn't the nature of, of the ancient gods, the false gods. Even if you look in the various religions today, you're not going to find that. But that's exactly what we find with the Lord. And remember that Jesus is the embodiment of the Father. So he's here showing us basically what God is like. God is a God of compassion. He's a God of compassion. So... If when we think of God and his primary attitude towards sinners, we think of anger, wrath, and judgment, we are seriously mistaken. That, that's the wrong view of God. That's the, that's the wrong understanding of God. But, but so often that's how people do think of God. And sometimes we as Christians are even promoting that view. But listen, these are the facts. Right thinking about God is that his predominant attitude towards sinners is an attitude of love, mercy, and compassion. That's the biblical picture of God. And when I say his attitude towards sinners, that means his attitude toward everybody because we're all sinners. But, but that's how we need to think of God ourselves. That's how we need to portray God. But 
again, quite often, um, the people who claim to know God are either directly or indirectly presenting him more with, with a picture of anger and wrath and judgment than of grace and mercy and love and compassion. And, and that's a problem. And like I said, you, you even see this with Christians. I, I mean, think of Peter. Peter denied publicly. Now, this guy's an apostle. This guy's with Jesus three years, day and night. He's on the Mount of Transfiguration. He sees, you know, Moses and Elijah and all of this stuff. But at the end, before Jesus is crucified, what does Peter do? He says, I, I don't know Jesus. Nope, sorry. You got the wrong guy. Mm-mm, I don't know him. And then at a certain point, remember, he finally just swears. Like, you know, may God curse me if I'm not telling the truth. But he wasn't telling the truth. He did know Jesus. But what did Jesus do later? Well, Jesus had compassion on Peter, didn't he? And he didn't disregard Peter or discard Peter. He didn't, you know, just cast him away. He brought him back in and he restored him. And then he sent him out to do the mission again. And Jesus showed us right there. That's how we, that's how we need to approach things. But we're so quick Especially, it seems like in these days, we're so quick to condemn, we're so quick to judge, we're so quick to write people off if they, you know, fail in some way. That is not the heart of God. That is not the God that we see in the Bible. The God we see in the Bible is a God of compassion. And Jesus, like I said, he manifests that for us here. Now, some people today, people are confused Even some people in the church are confused. Some people say, well, you know, the God of the Old Testament, that's the God of wrath and anger and judgment. And Jesus, you know, he's, of course, you know, the God of the New Testament is a God of love and grace and mercy. And so we need to just disengage from the Old Testament. One well-known preacher today says we should unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament and we just need to stick with the New Testament and listen. Jesus is the physical manifestation of the God of the Old Testament. He's God the Son. So we can't unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. But we don't need to because if we just read the Old Testament more clearly, we would realize that the revelation of God in the Old Testament is not a God of anger, wrath, and and, uh, judgment. It, It is, it comes to us in the pages of the Old Testament that God is a God of compassion. Listen to God's self-description given to Moses and to Israel. Moses, at a certain point, he says, he says Lord, I want to I see you just in all your glory. So Moses has had a relationship with God. He's had an encounter with God. But he says, Lord, I want to see you with just absolute clarity. No filter. I'm going I'm to just see you as who you are. And God basically says, well, Moses, that's impossible because you'd die if, if you You know, no one can see me and live. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to pass by and I'll let you see the glory that that follows afterward. And, And so as that occurs, the Lord himself, he declares his name. And in doing so, he's declaring his nature. So in Exodus 34, this is what we read. The Lord, which is Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God. 
slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. So that's God's self-revelation. How does he reveal himself? He says that I'm compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. You see what happens, people misread the Old Testament and they just focus in on those places where God talks about wrath and judgment, but they fail to realize that those things only come after sometimes hundreds of years of God pleading with people to repent. And after a couple hundred years, it's like, okay, finally, we got to bring some judgment here. But judgment is never God's first move toward a person. God's first move is always a merciful one because that's God's heart. The, the Lord even says through the prophet Ezekiel, he says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God takes no pleasure in judging people. He would prefer not to judge people because he, his, like I'm saying here, his predominant attitude towards sinners is an attitude of love, mercy, and compassion. The psalmist picked this up in Psalm 103, and this is what he wrote. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Psalm 103. Read it later and highlight it. Because you'll want to go back to that over and over again. But you see, this is the biblical picture. And then Jesus, of course who is, as I said, you know, the name Jesus means Yahweh is the Savior. Why is he named that? Because that's who he is. He's the God of the Old Testament. He's God the Son who comes, not God the Father. He's God the Son who comes, and he comes and shows us his heart towards sinners. And we see here that it is a heart of compassion. And notice the text says, when Jesus saw this multitude of of beaten and bruised, beat up people, it says that he was moved with compassion. So that's a phrase that's used to, to speak of, of the, these times when Jesus would encounter people in difficulty. It's used in reference to a multitude three times, and then it's also used in regard to individuals. On one occasion, it's a leper who comes to Jesus. Uh, Lord, if you're willing, would you, would you cleanse me? Jesus had compassion on him, or he, he, he was moved with compassion. Uh, blind men came asking, you know, to be uh, healed of their blindness. Jesus was moved with compassion. Uh, a widow, her son had died, and they were, they were taking him out to bury him. And Jesus is there as the funeral procession is passing by and Jesus sees the plight of this widow and it says he was moved with compassion toward her and he raised her son from the dead and gave him back to her. And so we see that this is the posture of Jesus when it comes to people who are suffering. People who are suffering as victims of sin from, you know, maybe others have victimized them, but also just people who have brought their problems on themselves because of sin. His heart is a heart of 
compassion. So he's moved with compassion. And it's a picture of him actually being physically affected by what he sees with these people. Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Another Gospel by Elisa Childers. Deconstructed faith stories are being celebrated in our culture today. Abuse in the church, dismissed doubts, legalism, and suffering are only a handful of factors that are leading Christians to question their faith. In her book, Another Gospel, Elisa Childers shares her own journey of doubt and struggle that led her to re-examine her own faith and ultimately overcome the challenges of her faith. In this book, she battles progressive Christianity with evidence, insight, and clarity. To learn how to combat and survive the onslaught of progressive Christianity, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order another gospel by Elisa Childers. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of Mark. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.